You are listening to Show Your Work, the podcast where I take a piece of flash fiction that I love, find the author, I sit them down, and I ask them to tell me how the thing was made. My name is Tyler Barton, and we go through this thing in detail, sentence by sentence, word by word, influence by influence, ultimately giving you the whole backstory on how this piece of flash fiction was created. Today, we are talking with Tyrese Coleman, who uh, is the author of a short story called They Reminisce Over You, and it was published in Hobart a couple years ago. I love this story because it's a real love letter to hip-hop. Uh, at the same time, it celebrates the culture and the atmosphere of what it's like to listen to this music and um, live in this certain culture. It also documents a tragedy in a really interesting way. We see the main character suffer a fatal injury in the very first sentence. It's, it's really interesting what she does with that. So before I spoil too much more, let's hear from Tyrese. Corbin was listening to Pete Rock and C.L. Smooth's T-R-O-Y and thinking of Trina McIver when shot inside the bodega on 4th Street. The song's jam intro had ended, and the first mellow riff of the saxophone solo kicked in through his black bubble headphones. I was watching VH1 Soul videos with my husband, <laughs> and the, the video for um, Pete Rock and C.L. Smooth's um, Reminisce came on. It's one of my favorite songs in the entire world. I originally had wanted to write about how I, as a young girl, had went to the library and checked out that tape. <laughs> I checked out the tape. It was like not the full tape either. It was just a single of that song. And I played it over and over and over again. And um, that was supposed to be part of the story. But then when I started writing, I was like, this is dumb. So, so I changed it. The saxophone repeated and mixed with the police sirens. His hand still in his pocket palmed a Panasonic cassette player. Corbin had enough strength to turn the ridge dial up and block out the noise. I had read um, a story about a grandmother who had been um, in an apartment when the police came to apprehend her grandson and she was shot in the melee. You know, every other week there was a black man getting shot or a black woman, you know, hanging herself and, you know, allegedly in her cell, you know. So there was so much going on with that that I really wanted to capture some of that in my writing, too. So it was sort of an amalgamation of all these different inspirations at once. So. There on the bodega floor, he heard nothing but this song. His headphones smelled of sport and wave gel his uncle got him using. Bitches love good hair, Jack. Motherfucking Crispin Williams, light skin, good hair, having and shit. Learn to sing instead of playing with them records and beatboxing. Singers get all the bitches. This morning, Corbin stood in the bathroom mirror and washed up in the sink. The hot water wasn't working. The kerosene heater flicked and faded. Cold beat him woke when he lifted his shirt and washed his underarms. I rem in my mind, this was sort of playing out like a 1990, 92, 93 video. Yeah, like one of those real narrative music. Right, videos. right. They did a, they did that more back in the 90s. Um, back then, like the the videos always went along with the narrative of the rap. So that's kind of what I was envisioning in my head. And um, I like I saw this kid, and I saw him act getting accidentally shot, and his girlfriend. 
The scent of grape soda lip gloss, the sticky softness of her mouth over the right side of his face while the other pressed cold tile, the heaviness of her arm across his back. Trina was there. I saw him as, at this moment, being embraced by the two loves of his life, music and Trina. In the summertime, her legs browned the shade of a warm penny. A couple of months ago, she let him in between those thighs. A soft fuzz covered them, and she apologized for not shaving as if he gave a goddamn. He felt dumb thinking about Trina and marriage and kids and shit, but the song put it in his head. Or maybe it was her screaming. Or maybe she lifted the speakers away from his head, whispered with soft, sticky, fluttering lips that wet his earlobe. You're gonna be a daddy, see? I used to think that the audience mattered. <laughs> this is gonna sound terrible, but I, I realized that when I write stories that I like, that I want to read, that I care about, that they turn out better than when I try and fit something into what I think other people are interested in. I actually really like the sentence where I talk about in the beginning when he's um, getting dressed and his mother knocks on the door. His spade, a good quarter inch high, needed to be wet for the pearls. His mama banged on the door, yelling she had to go to work and get out that bathroom. And when did he spend so much time putting on clothes? It must be that girl. And I swear, Michael Corbin Francis Jr., you better not come in this house with no goddamn babies. And I think the reason why I really love that sentence is because it's not dialogue, but it sounds like dialogue. And I wrote it um, so that you could visualize her standing at the door, knocking on the door and what she's saying without it being sort of broken down into dialogue. Um, so that's one of the things that I enjoyed about writing this piece. I, I felt like I could do whatever I wanted to. Someone, one of the cops who shot him, grunted while pushing Trina off of Corbin's body. The sudden lightness caused his breath to quicken. He prayed they leave his headphones. They were part of his body. And the headphones being a part of his body is that represents the fact that when he's not with Trina, that, that's what he's doing. Like, he's listening to his music. And so just the physical kind of feel of having that heat removed from your head that always feels like it's present on you would probably be just as jarring as when Trina was taken off of his body and he started to breathe quickly. Skip class to go to the library, she'd ask. Nah, not the library, the archives, he said, wishing he wore glasses like MC Search because he was about to drop some knowledge. Digging through crates, boo, you'll be my assistant. He'd been thinking of Trina, the new sample, a doo-wop song with strings and backup vocals he wanted to layer in a mix for a local MC. Didn't see the three cops pointing their guns or the other black man running down the street and into the bodega. And the shots rang. I did not want the shooting to be, I, I don't like writing stories that are straight linear anyway, and so I just did not want that shot to be at the end of the story. I have a real big problem with flash fiction that leaves everything to the end. Um, you know, some people have these little punchline stories where, you know, all of a sudden everything is revealed, and like, I just don't find that interesting. And I wanted to focus more on 
this particular character, this person and this being, and take away sort of the tension behind the assumption of whether or not he was gonna die and let the reader focus on who he actually is. Also, so I listened to um, They Reminisce Over You like over and over and over and over again when I was writing the story. And I know that Pete Rock had a friend who died. So I kind of was thinking about like, am I doing this song justice in um, writing this piece? And I don't think that if, you know, granted, I'm pretty sure nobody, neither one of them read it. Although I did tweet and at Pete Rock, um, <laughs> and he did not respond. But um, yeah, I tweeted. I was like, I wrote this about your song, and no one responded. So it's whatever. I'm not bitter. But um, <laughs> but I didn't want. I thought to myself, like, if someone wrote a story about a song that I did, I wouldn't want it to be depressing. I feel like that's the reason why we write, you know, like we want to leave this earth with something to remember us, for people to, re to reminisce over us with. And, you know, he's listening to the song and it's reminding him that um, there will be people to reminisce over him. There will be his son, even though he won't know him. There'll be Trina, there'll be his family, but there'll also be his music. And I find that comforting, right? Like if I were to die tomorrow I or right now, <laughs> I know that there will be people who will think about me like 10, 20 years from now. And so in that respect, it's, it's kind of comforting to know that I won't just disappear into the vapor. But also I think that um, for this particular character, like I said, he is, his, the two loves of his life is music and Trina. And to have them there together in that last moment, um, I think is really the most comforting anyone could want to die. I mean, if you have to go, at least be surrounded by the things that you care about and love the most. Um, if I could have put his mom there, that probably would have been a third. He hoped Trina would hold his mother's hand when they tell her he's gone. They will wear airbrushed t-shirts to his funeral. Hundreds will attend. His uncle will sell his mixer and drum machine for too little money. Trina and his mother will watch old tapes of him rapping in talent shows, talk about how he was going to make it. He would have been a star. I didn't want this story to be about a black boy being shot. I wanted it to be about a black boy who, he wasn't a victim in that sense. Like, I didn't want it to be about the shooting itself more so kind of what do you think about what what comes to mind when you are in that moment and now here's tyrese coleman reading they reminisce over you in its entirety they reminisce over you corbin was listening to pete rock and cl smooth's t-r-o-y and thinking of trina mciver when shot inside the bodega on fourth street the song's jam intro had ended, and the first mellow riff of the saxophone solo kicked in through his black bubble headphones, right when Trina, wearing a concrete gray puffy coat that blended in with the city behind her, opened the store glass door. Long dookie braids snatched to the top of her head, pulled her eyes into slim cat-like slits or Egyptian Cleopatra eyes, gold door knocker earrings bumped her cheeks, and the music in his ears animated her steps to a summertime breeze, the antithesis of the air outside. 
His headphones smelled of Sport and Waves gel his uncle got him using. Bitches love good hair, Jack. Motherfucking Crystal Williams, light skin, good hair, having and shit. Learn to sing instead of playing with them records and bebopping. Singers get all the bitches. This morning, Corbin stood in the bathroom mirror and washed up in the sink. The hot water wasn't working. The kerosene heater flicked and faded. Cold beat him woke when he lifted his shirt and washed his underarms, pulled open his sweats and rubbed Irish springs on his quivering balls. His breath smoked around him as he pushed air in and out through his teeth to amp up like a boxer readying for a fight. One last breath before he dipped his head in the depths of the freezing water. His spade, a good quarter inch high, needed to be wet for the curls. His mama banged on the door, yelling she had to go to work and get out that bathroom. And when did she spend so much time putting on clothes? Must be that girl. And I swear, Michael Corbin Francis Jr., you better not come in this house, no goddamn babies. They reminisced for a spell or should have think back. The last sentence he heard before a pop pop and falling forward. His black bubble headphones stayed put, the music melodious in his dying ears. And if he does die, it would at least be while listening to a masterpiece. The saxophone repeated and mixed with the police sirens. His hand still in his pocket palmed a Panasonic cassette player. Corbin had enough strength to, to turn the ridge dial up and block out the noise. The scent of grape soda lip gloss, the sticky softness of her mouth over the right side of his face while the other pressed cold tile, the heaviness of her arm across his back. Trina was there. The first time he suggested they met at the Bodegon for she'd ask, who skipped school to go to the library? Sweaty gum had sliced between her teeth before she popped it, and Corbin learned to count her gum snaps. The more she popped, the less her interest. Calculus class, a pop a minute. AP English, silence. There on the bodega floor, he heard nothing but this song. She sat next to him in both classes, purple lip gloss, a plastic pencil, and textbook in front of her. No one, not one of those chicks who pretended to be dumb because she thought it was cute. In the summertime, her legs browned the shade of a worn penny. Skip class to go to the library, she'd ask. Nah, not the library, the archives, he said, wishing he wore glasses like MC Search because he was about to drop some knowledge. Digging through crates, boo, you'll be my assistant. He'd been thinking of Trina, the new sample, a doo-wop song with strings and backup vocals he wanted to layer in a mix for a local MC. Didn't see the three cops pointing their guns or the other black man running down the street and into the bodega. Didn't notice them until the man ran into him pushed him on a shelf, and the shots had already been fired. After 10 years without no spouse, mama's getting married in the house. Listen, a couple of months ago, she let him in between those thighs. A soft fuzz covered them, and she apologized for not shaving as if he gave a goddamn. He felt dumb thinking about Trina and marriage and kids and shit, but the song put it in his head. Or maybe it was her screaming, or maybe she lifted the speakers away from his head, whispered with soft, sticky, fluttering lips that wet his earlobe, you're gonna be a daddy, see? Use your condom, take sips of the brew when they reminisce over you, for real. He let the song soothe him, matched his fading heartbeat to the drumbeat overlapping the original sample, an obscure cover by Tom Scott of Jefferson Airplanes Today. The lyrics to the hippie tune, today, everything you want, I swear it will all come true. Someone, one of the cops who shot him, grunted while pushing Trina off of Corbin's body. The sudden lightness caused his breath to quicken. He prayed they leave his headphones. They were part of his body. He hoped Trina would hold his mother's hand when they tell her he's gone. They will wear Everest t-shirts to his funeral. Hundreds will attend. His uncle will sell his mixer and drum machine for too little money. 
Trina and his mother will watch old tapes of him rapping in talent shows, talk about how he was going to make it. He would have been a star. Trina will take their son to the archives, play sweaty bubble speakers over his head, play this song for him, and tell him about his daddy. When they reminisce over you, listen. An outro of saxophone riff and an echoing choir, wailing like the ghosts, like ancestors still not forgotten, lulled Corbin to rest before the music faded and the tape rolled click to an end. That is all for today's episode of Show Your Work. Thank you so much for listening. You can find a link to the original story, They Reminisce Over You by Tyrese Coleman. It was published in Hobart. It's down there in our show notes. You can also find more of her work at tyresecoleman.com. Today's episode was produced by me. The music was also produced by me. Yay. Um, We'll see you next time. Actually, I was thinking about... um Old Dirty Bastard, Shimmy Shimmy Y'all. <laughs> I love that song. And so I was thinking to myself, like, if I write another about the hip-hop song, it's going to be that. But, you know, it's not going to be all happy-go-lucky kind of, you know, because I can't write anything happy. <laughs>